Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the Pope expresses pain, but offers no apology for the Catholic Church's role in Canada's residential schools. As a Catholic, I am deeply disappointed by the position that the Catholic Church has taken now and over the past many years. The Prime Minister says Ontario's Premier is trying to deflect criticism of his province's response to the pandemic. Thousands of people are flying into Buffalo, taking a taxi, walking across the border, which is unheard of, and again, implore the federal government to tighten up the borders. And Aaron O'Toole says Canada should push for the Olympics to be moved from China. If you're making the decision, you want the government to make a decision to, you know, pressure the movement of the Olympics away from uh, away from Beijing, then you have to be prepared for the undershoe, which is, well, what if they say no? What if they don't move? What's Canada's position going to be? It's Monday, June the 7th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Peter Van Dusen, CPAC's executive producer and the host of Primetime Politics. Peter, thank you for being with us today. Hi again, Mark. So let's talk about the latest on residential schools. On the weekend, the Pope expressed sympathy but did not apologize, despite repeated calls for the Catholic Church to do so. And there was reaction from the Cardinal of the Church in Toronto to recent comments made by the Prime Minister on this subject, holding the Church responsible, in part, for the residential schools program and and the horrifying atrocities associated with it. So there have been a number of developments here, and I wonder if, uh, what, what do you think about where this is going? Well, I, I, look, it's more interest, interesting to me to think about what, you know, what must Indigenous people think about where this is going. Yeah. Uh, the people who have been victimized, the people who have, you know, who are either ex, or who are survivors of residential schools or uh, relatives of survivors, and of course we've seen, you know, we, we've heard the stories, of, and it's well documented, the um, you know, residential school survivors. It's a it, it's an experience that that uh, that causes harm for generations and generations. Anybody who's had a family touched by it. So I'm really thinking about that. I'm thinking that what are they supposed to think? We have the, the, the prime minister of Canada who's come in for his own criticism for his handling of uh, of of this issue. Uh, you know the. Uh, not just this, the resident, you know, the government's position on residential schools, the murdering and missing women and girls inquiry, and the action plan that's taking a lot of heat from from indigenous groups, and uh, the prime minister, you know, setting the sights on the Catholic Church, saying it needs to step up, and the Pope needs to apologize, and you know, the Pope gives his Sunday address in St. Peter's Square on the weekend, Mark, uh, and doesn't apologize, talks about uh, the pain and the regret and the need to move forward and collaborate. And uh, the Archbishop of Toronto largely does the same thing. But now you've got the Archbishop of Toronto and the Prime Minister of Canada pointing fingers at each other about who's really to blame for the experience of residential schools and next steps and fighting over who should release documents and who shouldn't. So, you know, I, I, I... my sense is that Indigenous people, you know, watching all of this unfold are thinking a lot of, here we go again, uh, you know, responsibilities being passed around. Um, and I, But I get the sense, you know, I talked about this last weekend, that, you know, there's been a real sea change in the country, I think, uh, that there's momentum behind this from well outside the Indigenous community that things have to change. Yeah. 
All right, let's turn from there to the latest on the coronavirus pandemic. And uh, we've seen more back and forth between Ontario Premier Doug Ford and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Uh, Trudeau recently said Ford is trying to deflect criticism of his own performance by blaming the federal government. There have been times when, uh, when Ford and Trudeau have gotten along, or at least their administrations have, uh, over the course of um, the last 15 months on this issue, on this file. But uh, it appears as though there's a bit of a fracture in the relationship. Uh, what do you make of all of that? Yeah, I think it's, you know, look, at this whole question about taking action on the border, more action on the border has been, you know, Doug, you know, Doug Ford's leading kind of, you know, demand for the prime minister for a month now. And the prime minister keeps saying, you know, uh, tell me exactly what it is you want me to do, Doug Ford, and, and I'll do it for you. You know, ban international students, you know, shut people out of the board. Just tell me how you want it to work and I'll do it. You know, I think that's on on both sides. Uh, there's some narrowness around uh, around the approach here and, and, and exactly what's being asked for. It is within the purview of the federal government to stop people from taking planes, you know, to the to the border on the U.S. side, then jumping in taxis and driving across to skip the, the hotel quarantine. Doug Ford's talked a lot about that. Uh, I'm not sure why he'd have to make a special request to the Prime Minister of Canada to tell him to please make that stop happening. Uh, but I think what we're really seeing is, is you know, Doug Ford's got an election in, you know, I think, a year from now, and, and, and Justin Trudeau has an election coming up likely much sooner than that. So I'm listening to this and watching it and wondering if a lot of people aren't thinking this is now the sharpening of the rhetoric because it's a little harsher in the last few days, uh, you know, the back and forth between especially the prime minister responding to Doug Ford and ministers in his government. It feels a lot like setting a narrative for how you want to increase your seat count in Ontario by making Doug Ford the villain. And if we get an election in the next few months, which a lot of people think we might, are we going to see that rhetoric sharpen uh, in the weeks to come, Mark? Uh, as we, you know, I think what politicians are feeling now, you know, on all sides is that we've gotten to a point now where the vaccinations are uh, taking hold. Sure, there's still concerns about variants, but uh, the criticism over vaccine supply is starting to fade. We're getting lots of vaccines and people are getting vaccinated and we're getting second shots and all of that is taking place. So are we starting to see the pivot from let's all just focus on the pandemic to let's start setting a narrative for upcoming elections? Yeah. And and what do you think about that? Is that the direction we're going in at the moment? Uh, it, there's been a lot of speculation that uh, given where we're likely to be in the pandemic and the fact that there are municipal and provincial elections coming in Ontario and Quebec over the next 18 months, that uh, the timing could be right for an early fall election. Yeah, for an election, uh, an election day early in the fall, uh, and, yeah. and a campaign maybe late summer into the into early fall. You know, I think the best way to look at this is uh, to look at in a minority parliament to look at various windows and who gets to open and close them. And we've seen the opportunity for opposition parties to open those windows and trigger campaigns, and they they haven't stepped through. They haven't you know opened those windows. They, particularly, the NDP's made sure that. Uh, the minority government has survived, uh, but the government, the prime minister himself, gets to open those windows. So that's kind of where we are now. I think you have to look at the prime minister's thinking about possible windows. 
and it's always been something you know I've talked about. It's always been one of the you know I guess the the picture window if you want to put it if you want to maintain the uh, the metaphor and is that you know that the biggest possible window that he's uh, that he's had since you know taking power almost two years ago is coming up. And that is one that has this intersection of lots of people vaccinated, uh, the pandemic easing off, businesses reopening, Canada getting somewhat back to what, whatever a new normal will, will be. And then that's an opportunity uh, to, as he has now repeatedly started to do, lay out the, the narrative for what's after the pandemic and the billions of spending, what a Liberal government's going to do for you uh, after the pandemic to make sure the country sur- you know, thrives and survives and the economy uh, gets back on track. And you're going to hear more and more of that. So that, that suggests to me that you know, that next window, uh, that next big window is late summer for the Prime Minister to say, okay, uh, things are where they need to be for us to uh, to have an election campaign and, and, and uh, hopefully to have a success at it. I mean, you, you really don't go to the people in a minority government and, and have, you, know, you pull the plug yourself. You really don't do that if you think you're going to lose power. You yeah. do it because you think you can extend power and go from a minority to a majority. So it's a calculated gamble, and that's the one uh, that he would make. And that next big window uh, to a lot of people looks like uh, mid to late summer. All right, let's talk about uh, Aaron O'Toole suggesting to the Prime Minister late last week um, as as Justin Trudeau gets ready to attend the uh, G7 summit in London later this week, um, that uh, he should, while there, push for the international community to move the Olympics from Beijing. The Winter Olympics are in Beijing next year after the Summer Olympics in Tokyo this summer. Uh, move them from Beijing to another site, in part because of uh, the detention of Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor. Um, how do you think this is going to play out? Well, I think it's a, a conversation that's probably going to, you know, um, pick up some steam in the next couple of months. Could, could it, we just talked about an election? Could it be a, a significant election issue? Uh, perhaps. Certainly, the relationship with China would be would. You know, moving the Olympics, you know, be part of that conversation. I think it would have to be, but I think you know, the, the, there's sort of two shoes to every kinds of decision like this, and they they drop at different times. So, if you're making the decision, you want the government to make a decision to you know pressure the movement of the Olympics away from uh, away from Beijing, then you have to be prepared for the other shoe, which is, well, what if they say no? What if they don't move? What's Canada's position going to be? So you're, I think you're, you know, you're, uh, think of, you know, let's go to the Olympic analogy, think of the hurdles, you know, it's, it's already when you cross one, it's about thinking about the next hurdle coming up. So uh, there has to be some consideration given to what next. So if Canada takes the position that we are, uh, we want the Olympics moved and China, you know, the IOC and, and, and uh, they don't move the Olympics, let's say that's the ultimate decision, then is Canada going? Are we sending athletes or are we making the decision that no, uh, for all kinds of reasons, largely the, the, the poor relationship right now between Canada and China, that we're not going in the detention of the two Michaels has made us decide as a country that that's the way we can show our displeasure. So, um, you know, I, I, I think Aaron O'Toole is pushing that, uh, pushing that message about you know moving the Olympics, and the government's clearly thinking you know uh, 
let's let this go for some time before we yeah. uh, fully engage on this because we have to make two decisions, uh, the, mm-hmm. the pressure to move them and the decision to not go if they don't. Yeah. All right. Big decisions ahead on many different fronts. Peter, thank you so much for joining us today. All right, Mark. Take care. We'll talk soon. That's CPAC's Peter Van Dusen. It will take a lot of investigation to to find some of these bodies. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Ottawa Citizen, Brigitte Pellerin argues we should keep the anger and outrage alive over Canada's residential schools. Pellerin writes, It has taken the discovery of 215 children near Kamloops to make non-Indigenous Canadians get it. Those children deserve to have their memories honoured. And we must start by recognizing that what happened to them was no accident. We owe it to our Indigenous brothers and sisters to do what we can to understand the depths of the trauma they suffered and continue to endure. Acknowledging the truth of what was done to them in our name is the beginning of the work we have to do. In the Toronto Star, Robin Sears argues more brutal revelations about residential schools are coming. Sears writes, An in-depth inquiry will surely be launched to investigate how, why, and under whose supervision thousands of children died. It will name many of the perpetrators, as well as their victims. It will divide communities and families when some of the stories are revealed in grisly detail. How governments and politicians react to this coming tidal wave of grief and horror will make and break careers. This will be as testing a moral, cultural, and political moment as Canada has ever faced. In an editorial, the Toronto Sun writes that Canadians should be rooting for our First Peoples. The Sun writes, Once again, the news is full of headlines about First Nations people and tragedy. This latest story has led to broader conversations about respecting our First Peoples and ensuring them equal access to success and prosperity. One of the many things that can be done is to ensure that when news of our First Peoples does make it onto the front pages of newspapers, it is not just negative news. The tragedies deserve the ample coverage they receive, but we also think the successes deserve attention. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. Canada's Foreign Affairs Minister will appear before the special Canada-China Committee of the House of Commons this evening. And as CPAC's Martin Stringer tells us, there's a lot on the agenda and many high-profile issues at stake. Mark, at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time, Mark Garneau will appear before the committee, and he will face questions on several high-profile issues between Canada and China. First and foremost, probably, will be the motion passed by a majority of MPs in the House of Commons calling on the Trudeau government to release information on the firing of two Chinese scientists from Canada's highest security, top-level microbiology lab, where they had access to dangerous pathogens, including the Ebola virus. The two were fired for what the government says were security breaches. But Tories, and now a majority of MPs, want more information and documents given to the Canada-China Committee. The government has argued that the sensitive information should be dealt with instead by Parliament's Special National Intelligence and Security Committee, which can deal with the issue while respecting the top-secret nature of some of the information. Also expect Mr. Garneau to be grilled on the latest on the ongoing detention and trial by the Chinese of the two Michaels, Michael Spaver and Michael Kovrig. There's now less and less hope of any quick resolution of their case after indications from the U.S. Justice Department that there's not going to be any change in the U.S. request for the extradition of Chinese high-tech executive Meng Wanzhou, 
which is widely understood to be at the root of the Chinese detention and trumped-up charges against the two Michaels. And then there is the continuing and escalating diplomatic war of words between China and the Canadian government over China's treatment of its Uyghur Muslim minority, described now by the the Canadian Parliament as an ongoing genocide. So Mark, lots of hot topics and lots of questions, no doubt, for Foreign Minister Garneau at committee tonight. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will deliver a keynote address and take part in a virtual conversation at the St. John's Board of Trade's annual Outlook Conference. He will also chair the Cabinet meeting. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh will speak with the media ahead of a vote on the NDP Opposition Day motion. Health Minister Patty Haidu will take part in a virtual infrastructure event in Thunder Bay, Ontario. And the Senate Committee on Official Languages will hear from the Minister of Official Languages, Melanie Jolie, as part of its study on the Official Languages Reform Project. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Monday, June 7th. Tune into Primetime Politics every evening on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.